0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Monthly training, full access to all our business resources, and a private member forum powered by Slack. Come build a better business with hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me inside Entre Architect Membership. Enroll now, free, for 30 days at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 249, and this week, I'm with NCARB CEO Michael Armstrong, and I asked, how does NCARB served the small firm architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software, that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting, and more time doing the work that you love. And Revit Rocketship. Learn Revit the fast and easy way with a powerful online course developed by the guys over at F9 Productions. From first-time users to seasoned pros, Revit Rocketship will show you how. Michael Armstrong, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Great to be here. It's good to have you here. Uh, Let me tell anybody who may not know who you are, who you are. Uh, Michael is the Chief Executive Officer at National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. They also know that organization as NCARB. And prior to joining NCARB in 2011, Mike held senior positions at the International Code Council, uh, the ICF International at FEMA, and at the Colorado Governor's Office of Energy Conservation. He began his career with 10 years uh, as an assistant city attorney specializing in land use, zoning and planning, code enforcement, historic preservation, all those goodies. And recently, NCARB published a report called NCARB by the Numbers. And today, we're going to dive deep into those facts and figures. I don't know how deep, but we're going to dive into those facts and figures, uh, learn through that report, um, and how that report impacts our community of small firm entrepreneur architects. But before we go there... I want Michael to tell us his story, his origin story. So Michael, can you uh, go back to where you discovered your purpose and your passion and share your story uh, of the of that journey to where you find yourself today at NCAR?
1: Well, thank you. I, and And also thank you for that introduction. You sort of gave a nice thumbnail sketch of my career path, which is confusing to a lot of people because I uh, started my undergraduate uh, work in journalism and wrote for several newspapers. Then I went to law school and uh, practiced law for 10 years. Then I went into uh, political work for a while, followed by stints in state uh, and federal government, then ended up in the private sector, and then from there into the nonprofit community, and now at NCARB. So it's a bit of a zigzag. I think um, one of the consistent themes in my career path has been uh, the safety of the built environment. That's probably a consistency, starting with um, acting as an assistant city attorney, writing legislation, advising boards and commissions, prosecuting cases, and into uh, creating uh, public policy at the state and federal level around areas ranging from energy conservation to um, uh, disaster mitigation, and then uh, consulting for uh, local governments on strategic planning around uh, emergency management and homeland security, and then around the code community with the International Code Council, Uh, I always had a focus on the built environment. And of course, architects were frequently part of that conversation. And I think over time, certainly as I was exposed to different uh, approaches to building design and the utility of buildings, my admiration for and interest in architecture just increased exponentially. And quite frankly, I found it refreshing to move more directly into a conversation with architects. Uh, after working with um, emergency managers and code officials, I appreciated the uh, sophistication and the uh, blend of art and science that architects bring to the table. So I found it to be a very stimulating uh, um, experience that continues into today.
0: Great. The, the um, I think most listeners and most of our community are are architect owners, mostly small firm architects. Uh, and I think most people know what NCARB is, could, but could you sort of just give us a really quick snapshot of what NCARB is and how it fits in uh, in, in the profession? In, sure. In
1: the, go ahead. Sure. And I think sometimes the basic confusion that people have, especially emerging professionals, is that there's a clear distinction between licensure and what NCARB does for the state boards versus The profession writ large, which is what AIA and other membership societies address. So NCARB itself is a nonprofit organization that was created by all the state licensing boards so that the states could have a more uniform approach to regulating licensure, which then in turns allows the architect profession to be more mobile across state boundaries. There is no national license and people get frustrated. They say, why can't we just take one exam and just be licensed everywhere. Well, the U.S. Constitution uh, clearly states that all powers that are not specifically given to the federal government devolve to the state governments. So licensure is not called out as a federal authority in our constitution. Therefore, it is a state authority. However, um, almost 100 years ago, 13 state licensing boards got together and said, you know what, we better have some uniformity from state to state or else we aren't gonna be able to practice with ease across state boundaries. So we were created in 1919 to facilitate mobility in a way that's consistently rigorous and as uniform as possible. We also aren't the people that issue the license. That's another confusion point people have. We do not have legal authority. We have advisory authority. So we create what I call the licensure toolkit we deliver that toolkit to every state and U.S. jurisdiction, and they decide which of the NCARB tools they wish to use. So every jurisdiction uses the NCARB exam called the ARE. All jurisdictions use some variation on the NCARB model for the experience requirement referred to the A- as the AXP or the architectural experience program, which for some of you more mature architects, that's the successor program to the IDP. IDP doesn't exist anymore. And then we also have an education standard that addresses minimally what type of education is necessary to be certified after you get a license by NCARB so you can be mobile across state boundaries. So these three E's of education, experience, and examination are the building blocks for the licensure path that we help facilitate on behalf of state and and jurisdictional government, I'm glad I asked that question
0: because <laughs> that's 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 great. I mean, I didn't know all of that, and I'm yeah. sure that the listeners didn't know all of that. Right, um, and so I appreciate you uh, jumping into that a little bit. Sure. So so uh, NCAR by the numbers. It's a report that you do every year, um, and it sort of looks at the profession in terms of statistics. Can you sort of tell us what? what it is in more detail and then we'll get into some of the information that's inside the report?
1: Sure. Um, I think like a lot of nonprofit organizations in the 21st century, we're becoming more and more of an information management organization. Much of what we do is collect and manage and distribute data. And so if we're doing all this data collection and storage for the licensure candidate through recording their hours and recording their test scores, and through licensed architects keeping their records current so that they can get an NCARB certificate to be mobile, um, it stands to reason that we can act as a thought leader in the national conversation about the profession in terms of trends. And so NCARB by the numbers takes a historic multi-year look at various trends around people moving into licensure and the profession post-licensure. So whether it's Time to licensure from the time one enrolls in school to um, the number of people in the pipeline to diversity issues regarding women and underrepresented groups. There's a lot of curiosity by national media, by uh, the federal government, by um, other interest groups, including the AIA, on what these numbers could reveal. So we feel like we're doing a service. Uh, for the profession, for the community, and also for our individual licensing boards. They want to know how uh, people going through the licensure process in their state compare to national averages. So we also have a dashboard in this book that jurisdiction by jurisdiction compares um, the performance of a state vis-a-vis national uh, averages in four different data sets. So it's a learning tool It's an educational uh, tool for a variety of readers inside and outside the architect community.
0: Yeah. And I think individual architects will be very interested in it as well um, as, as well as those big organizations. I think even our community of small firm architects, um, it's a really interesting document to go in there and, and see a snapshot of our profession. Look at the specific numbers, look at the trends and how they're, they're trending. Look at the, the, the number of architects that are coming into the profession and the number of architects that are leaving the profession, right?
1: It's right. all in there. So it's, it's a very valuable document. Well, I think one thing I've noticed is that <clears throat> there's a lot of anecdotal information and maybe even some urban myths out there about yeah. what's happening with the profession. Having hard data can help dispel some of those myths and course correct some of the conversation. Uh, and I would also add in terms of small firms that, um, the majority of architects practice uh, in smaller firms. Uh, I'm sorry, the majority of firms are smaller firms. Um, and and uh, that's probably a better way to say it. Um, many of our volunteers that serve on state licensing boards seem to come from smaller firms. Uh, I think they're perhaps in a place in their career where they have uh, started to transition uh, toward retirement. Uh, they feel like it's a time in their career where they can give back to the profession. Uh, and what I see in terms of our volunteer community, and we have hundreds of volunteers from around the country, I would say a, a majority are farm small firms. So we definitely have that point of view um, when we create policy.
0: Is, is the data in the report broken down by firm size? Do you have any sort of idea of, because it, it, mm-hmm. it has totals of architects, but do you sort of know who those architects are?
1: We don't. Um, a lot of our data relates to the emerging professional, and many of those folks aren't really associated permanently with a firm. Post-licensure, the small firm versus large firm distinction is something that the AIA actually mm-hmm. looks at. They have, as you may know, their roundtables for both small and large firms. We don't really ask a lot of um, data questions. We do sometimes inquire as to firm origin when we are doing um, Samples and surveys to make sure we have a diversity of opinion, but it's more designed as a check on making sure our uh, Data is representative. It isn't really a, um, a Point of view that we track post licensure in, in the big picture in terms of this the state of licensure uh,
0: For architects, what are the trends? What are what are are we getting bigger
1: or are we getting smaller? In well, one of the, one of the uh, concerns that's been expressed out there repeatedly is that the rate at which baby boomers are retiring doesn't match the rate of people coming into the profession. We don't find that to be a true statement. Um, first of all, baby boomers aren't all retiring at the same time, and they tend to be working longer. Uh, so that mass exodus has not come to pass. And the, the baby um, boomers I know that are architects <laughs> have no plan on retiring. Right. <laughs> and so that's sort of a a, a false assumption. And then um, it's interesting, while enrollment uh, in architecture schools is lower than it was 10 years ago, the number of schools is, uh, is higher, and the percent of graduates staying into licensure is also higher. So the profession is getting a larger share of a smaller pool, if that makes sense. So the sum result is about, it's about the same. It's about constant. In fact, our pipeline of re- for several years now in terms of people testing for the exam has been at record levels. So um, we tend to be a little more optimistic about the future of the profession than perhaps some others are. Um, but I can share with you some specific uh, findings that you might find uh, compelling, if yeah. you'd like.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so um, in, in, in our most recent edition of NCAR by the Numbers is a, is a calendar year, shot so we're talking about data now that is roughly 10 months old so the most recent publication covers january 1st through december 31st of 2017. our next publication will issue next june however we are working on having a more um, immediate um, online version of NCARB by the numbers that will update our statistics on a more frequent basis throughout the year and we hope to have that up and running Uh, I hope by early next, next year or next spring, but for now we'll deal with 2017 numbers. Okay. Um, So in 2017, we had a a record number of candidates that completed both their experience requirement and their exam requirement. So we had 5,200 individuals that got all the way through both AXP and ARE in 2017. And that's a record. Um, Also, The time that it takes to get a license has dropped by two years since 2009. Now, I I, I say that with a big asterisk next to it because uh, the time to licensure means from the time you first enroll in school until you actually physically get the license. And so that includes time to get your AXP hours and time to uh, pass all of your exams. We've been working hard to... um, influence the emerging professionals so that they realize that these three steps don't have to be done sequentially. They can overlap. And a generation, several generations of architects have gone through it sequentially, and it's been, they've been hardwired to believe that this is the only way it should work. When in reality, um, contemporary studies on adult learning and adult comprehension seem to suggest that concurrent uh, activity is a better way to learn and retain information. So in other words, working while you're in the, also in the classroom, taking the exam while you're still acquiring experience. Um, these overlaps actually can enrich the um, ability to retain information. And so pursuing things sequentially, which is why it takes so long to get a license, really needs to be a, a theory that is rejected and uh, redesigned. So the more people overlap the three E's, the shorter the path to licensure will be. So we've contributed to that by um, reducing by one third the hours for the experience requirement, still keeping core hours. So everyone's worried that we've made it too easy. We've still kept the core hours. We've eliminated the elective hours that weren't being used anyway. Um, We also um, have eliminated one division of the exam. So now there's only six exams instead of seven exams. How do we do this without sacrificing the rigor? We got rid of some outdated software programs and some approaches to examination that really weren't relevant. And we realigned uh, the questions into six phases of practice. So the exam better simulates real practice as opposed to a theoretical approach. And then we took the experience program and aligned it along those same six areas. So for the first time in the history of NCARB, the examination and the experience requirements actually are parallel as opposed to being two different um That makes makes sense. Yeah. Uh, So um, we think that what we are hearing as we talk to emerging professionals, and we do this through visiting every um, campus of an accredited program every other year, by having very uh, vibrant social media platforms, by doing lots of peer-to-peer outreach so that it's not just an anonymous entity in Washington talking, but actual people who've gone through the process. The emerging professionals are telling us via these platforms that they want to work for firms that are going to support them. The emerging professionals are hungry for mentorship. They want coaching. They don't want just passive signing off of hours. They want a real conversation and a real sense of mentorship when they go to work for a firm, which arguably can play uh, toward the small firm culture.
0: yeah absolutely i i actually see that in our community we do we do something with entre with entree architect called entree architect sessions and they are online video conferences that we do and one of them is called startup architect and um we recently uh reached out to uh young architect young architect dot com group um and he he um introduced his group to our Mm. uh, startup architect sessions and we got a bunch of people to come over and when they were there you can see that they were that they were that they're just starving for that connection yes with with, uh experienced architects looking for some idea of what's what they should be doing how they should be doing it um and so and mike does a great job with young architect and it's and um we're doing a good job with Entree Architects trying to get them to come to us as well to help them be those mentors. So, so uh, I see that in what you're talking about. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entre Architect, RCAP, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to Google. And then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, that link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements. So I went back to the search engine and started all over. This could take all afternoon to find the one or the two or the three products that I needed. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure it does. There is a better way. RCAT.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, Spec Wizard. And keep it all online in one place using their cloud-based project organization tool, Charette. So make RCAT a part of your efficient project workflow. Just type entrearchitect.com/slash RCAT so they know that you came from us. Put that into your internet browser and add it to your favorites, and then visit Arcat for every project. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. entrearchitect.com slash Arcat. That's entrearchitect.com slash A R C A T. Our friends at Fresh Books have been supporting us here at the Entree Architect Podcast. a long time now. They've been a platform sponsor for well over two years. So thank you, FreshBooks. So you've heard me talk about FreshBooks a lot here at the Entree Architect podcast. Every episode, in fact, for quite a long time now. But did you know how FreshBooks actually was created? How it came to life? Well, it happened when their founder, Mike, accidentally saved over an invoice and he kind of stamped. He was using Microsoft Word to bill his clients. He had studied accounting at school, but found that every accounting software on the market was built for some other business, not for him. He was frustrated. He wanted something different, something better, something that was designed for him, a self-employed professional. So he built it. Today, millions of people use FreshBooks, and on average, FreshBooks customers save about 16 hours a month. 16 hours a month. What could you do with an extra 16 hours? Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com FreshBooks. And then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Revit Rocket Ship is a new online course developed by our friends Alex Gore and Lance Psycho over at F9 Productions. They're the guys from the Inside the Firm podcast. Their new online course will get you up and running with Revit fast and easy, It's completely different from anything else available online. You're going to learn how to model in Revit just like it gets built. And you won't even need to start from scratch. Alex provides you with a complete ready-to-go template to get started. It's the actual Revit template that his firm, F9 Productions, has developed over the past decade and uses today. He'll walk you through their proven method of developing a Revit model and end up with a completed set of construction drawings that you can use for your portfolio or reference when you develop your next project. Revit RocketShip is based on years of experience using the software and teaching Revit at the university level so they know how to get you up and running fast and easy. I love that Alex and Lance are sharing their knowledge, and I want you to check out Revit RocketShip. Register today for Revit RocketShip at EntreeArchitect.com slash Revit. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash R-E-V-I-T. Fresh FreshBooks, and Revit Rocket Chip. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community.
1: I think that emerging uh, professionals need people like you and Mike because right now, the, the community is so busy. The economy is very strong. Architects are very busy. Um, a lot of firms are in uh, constant hiring mode. And I hear from some practitioners that they would love to take time to coach and mentor, but the deadlines are so pressing, right. the workload is so heavy, that they're not able to pay attention like they'd like to to these um, engagements. And so having other options like what you are doing and others I think is really essential, especially uh, in this economy. Um, so, because candidates are now starting to complete their examination and experience requirements sooner, um, that should put more people into the marketplace, which could alleviate some of the investment costs that firms are paying. Uh, but we again, if if you're going to take on someone who's pursuing licensure, you have to be prepared as a small firm owner and a supervisor to help the candidates get their experience in a wide range of areas. The whole reason we have AXP and its predecessor IDP is because just a simple experience requirement, which is what used to exist, wasn't necessarily giving emerging professionals a diverse enough background to be prepared to practice architecture. They were getting um, pigeonholed into one or two functions for their entire, in those days, three years and they weren't getting enough of a diverse exposure. So the reason the IDP was created was to make sure that experience contributes to competence. So broadening the focus and requiring these aspiring architects to check the box in a variety of categories was going to assure that they're going to have minimum competence to practice architecture, not just minimum competence to do one type of architecture. So now with the AXP, there's 95 different categories where uh, a licensure candidate has to earn credit, and we know that not every hour is going to be AXP credit worthy. So, while the hours are 3,740, the average licensure candidate takes uh, almost five years to get those 3,740 hours. It isn't a, an automatic three years for 3,740 because there's other hours that get worked. People are working part time if they're in school, and so it's really important that the supervisor is prepared to pull them through all these categories or else the employee is going to have to leave the firm and go somewhere else where they can get that other type of experience. So we have guidance documents for supervisors and firm owners. We can coach them on, on how to best place their uh, employees into a path that will get them their experience hours and our organization is increasingly uh, interested in creating a toolkit for supervisors because of the demand of the emerging professional community and because we've um, made so many um, improvements to our programs it's putting more weight on the role of the supervisor it really getting to the licensure path isn't just the responsibility of NCARB or the candidate or the state licensing board it is the responsibility of the profession. They were co-equal partners with us. And so we, are, um, we have a course now that we can uh, teach uh, face-to-face or uh, remotely on supervisor how to be a good supervisor that counts, as, counts for HSW uh, credit uh, for continuing education. And we hope to put a version of this course online in the next year. And we think that will be an incentive for supervisors to really focus and bear down on doing their job well. To clarify, the supervisor is
0: the person who is working with the candidate to document those yes. hours, correct? Yes.
1: And for, to um, get credit under AXP, up to half of your total hours have to be under the supervision of a U.S. licensed architect. But that doesn't, location doesn't matter. That U.S. licensed practitioner can be in Mississippi or they can be in Abu Dhabi.
0: And, and they, they're licensed, and there's a process, there's um, some of that can be done remotely as well, right? Because I have asked that question of NCAR before, and I've surprisingly got the answer. If, if, because a lot of small firms are starting to become remote studios. Sure. So that, that the the team is distributed among many different studios. And so there's no office culture anymore. They, right. They're, they're working through the internet together. Yes. Um, is there a process to earn those hours in that type of
1: uh, environment? The supervisor—it's an ethics issue. The supervisor has to attest to the fact that they've reviewed the work of their employee and that that work, in their opinion, as a licensed practitioner, satisfies the AXP criteria. Okay, so it doesn't matter if they're sitting next to you in an office Correct.
0: or they're um, you know Correct.
1: ten miles away in another office. Correct, as long and as you're doing the work only up to only half of those hours have to be under the supervision of a licensed US architect, up to half of the hours can be working for a related profession like engineering or landscape architecture, or working for a foreign licensee. So the program actually is quite flexible. It acknowledges that the profession is evolving, that um, the profession is much more um, multidisciplinary than it used to be, and multi-jurisdictional. So we're trying to evolve our programs as the profession evolves, but it's something that firm owners and, and supervisors need to keep in mind. They've got to be able to attest to the work, right? And and we encourage coaching and mentoring, not just blindly signing off on hours. We know yeah. we know everybody gets busy, but really, um, you're not uh, observing your own ethics if you don't really know that that person has done the work and done it in a satisfactory way
0: right well I think a lot of those my studio is built that way um, and I think many small firms are starting to to grow firms that way going going in that direction I think many many new firms that are starting are starting that way because it's inexpensive to start sure. that way um, and so I think there are there are processes for our own work to get done properly right. I think so that supervision probably is in a big leap to have uh, a candidate work remotely with you uh, as maybe as an intern uh, or whatever they're called today. Right. And, and, uh, and be that supervision, supervisory person uh, f- for their IDP credits. Or Correct.
1: IDP credits, And let's hope that trend continues. Um, I also wanted to share with you that our NCAR by the numbers uh, publication indicates that um, the diversity of the, uh, Emerging professional community is continuing to improve uh, in that it's becoming more diverse. Um, Gender equity, um, the equity between men and women uh, in the the workforce, um, it's held steady for for the second year in a row. And again, racial and ethnic diversity is improving along early career stages. So currently, one in three new architects are women Women and men are equally likely to stay on the path to licensure. One in five new architects identify as a racial or ethnic minority. And 30% of candidates who complete the experience requirement, the AXP, identify as non-white, which is up five percentage points from the previous year. So we see when we visit college campuses that the student body is much more diverse than Mm -hmm. it was several years ago. Especially in terms of gender, um, the challenge will be uh, attrition. Will these underrepresented groups stay with it? Yeah, at the that was same, my question. At the yeah. same rate that white males stay with it. So um, while non-white individuals make up a larger percentage of the profession, they also drop out at a higher rate as well. And do, do you have data on why or are you just getting you getting we don't we yep. have not interviewed those that have dropped out as to why um, Our data tells us that non-white candidates are 25% more likely to fall off the licensure path um, We are hopeful that um, some of the recent changes we made to our programs might help change that pattern And what I mean by that is we think that um Frequently underrepresented groups um, also come from lower economic uh, groups. And there is more pressure in terms of um, salaries and uh, occupational opportunities to quickly get to a a certain level of um, economic status. And because the path to licensure takes so long, if other opportunities come along, they may not want to stick with with, uh, licensed architecture. There are other lucrative uh, occupations coming out of architecture school that may pay more money than architecture. So um, keeping the passion going, which is why they went to architecture school, and turning that into a monetary realization is going to require more work on getting people through the path more quickly. And that's why, for example, we're in our fifth year of uh, hosting an initiative called the Integrated Path to Architectural Licensure, which uh, a school can um, position a student to complete all their coursework, complete all of their AXP, and take each division of the exam once before they graduate, which could result in someone right after graduation applying for a license with their local licensing board. Uh, We now have uh, 21 schools and 25 programs in IPAL We have over 400 students enrolled in IPAL programs across the country, and over 80 are now testing. And we had our first cohort of graduates this past spring. So it is possible to do this. It requires someone who is very grounded, very focused, very disciplined. It requires a school that will place you in a paid position in a firm. It requires... um, The firm, in turn, to give you the right hours that fit the AXP requirements without a lot of coloring outside the lines. So we're trying to make sure we're available as a coach to the schools to help them do this. Uh, It's probably still a few years away before a larger cohort graduates, so where we can start studying what's the dropout rate, what are the pass rates, some of those things. This is an alternative. It's not for everybody. It's a
0: relatively recent introduction, right? It's
1: recent. It's recent. It's not a shortcut. Everyone yep. has to do the same number of exams, the same AXP requirements, and they have to graduate from a NAB-accredited program. So the only thing that's different is that they're doing it in a concentrated way as opposed to a sequential way. Right. Then it becomes a marketplace decision. If a firm says, well, that's neat that they, they got their license, but I don't think they're ready – That's a hiring decision, that's not a regulatory decision because they've met the minimum qualifications from a legal perspective. So um, I think one of the ways to address getting underrepresented groups through the path is to get people to licensure more quickly. Um, The other thing we've done is we've added a new alternative to get experience credit. We've noticed that a number of women in particular seem to drop out because of, quote-unquote, life gets in the way. There's still a cultural expectation in the U.S. that women, more than men, are supposed to um, focus on either elder care or child care or um, do other things, and... um, which postpones getting their license. So they may have years of work under their belt with a firm and then they never recorded their hours. They graduated from a school and they wanna get their license. They're willing to take the exam, but they're stuck. So we created an alternative to complete the AXP for people who have hours that are older than five years, instead of recording hours, because you're ineligible after five years to record hours, we will let you submit a portfolio of your work in lieu of recording hours. The portfolio has to be signed off by a licensed architect who maps your work to the same criteria for experience that the people who record hours have to map. So it's not necessarily easy, but it is a way to salvage those older hours without starting over, starting from scratch. You can't do a mixed version where you record hours that are less than five years and portfolio for more than five. But we've received a wonderful response from a number of people around the country, particularly uh, the equity by design group out in San Francisco, the work that I was was going to bring that up. Yeah. They're thrilled that we've, we've created an alternative to record experience. And so it's a fairly new program. It's not easy, but we're hopeful that this signals that we're willing to acknowledge that there are multiple ways to get there.
0: Yeah. and and i i think that's the way this profession grows is that that the the, the big the main organizations that have been around for a hundred years um, and these new organizations like equity by design like young architect like entre architect mm-hmm. and others that are that are coming up uh, where when they all start working together like you being on my show to talk to small firms um, that's how this this profession grows that's how it it, it improves that's how we get the numbers
1: up It's an interesting conundrum with architects that architects are both uh, tradition bound and innovation oriented and sometimes those two concepts are at conflict with each other. And we see this in our own conversations with our volunteers with our state licensing board. Uh, The majority are embracing uh, a progressive approach to licensure, but there's a, a vocal group that is concerned that we're going too fast, or that we're skipping steps and so um, we have a lot of checks and balances in our process that tries to straddle as yeah. best we can. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I was going to see if there's anything else here to add for you in terms of. This. Well, it's
0: it's a it's a very wide generational profession. We have yes. we have kids coming out of school. I mean, I call them kids because they're <laughs> younger than me. Um, you know, in their 20s, all the way up to people who are in their 80s practicing architecture. Um, and beyond. And so it's, it's, um, it's a very broad profession. And so uh, to, to get everything working for everybody has got to be a massive, massive
1: project. Well, and, and again, because of what we do as advisory, we can try to demonstrate national consensus of where we think things should go, but then persuading an individual state licensing board to agree with us is a whole different conversation. So, um, like I said, every jurisdiction uses the ARE. A handful have supplemental exams on top of the ARE, which is which is at right. their their discretion. Every jurisdiction uh, has now moved from the old 5,600 hour requirement to the 3,740, except for four jurisdictions, and all four of those are in the process of moving. It's just taken a little longer. Um, we have 38 jurisdictions that require. A degree from a NAB accredited program, but we have another uh, 17 that do not. And so to get the NCARB certificate post licensure, we're a Big Ten organization. We offer a certificate for those that have a NAB accredited degree. But if you don't, we have an alternative path for you to get the certificate by getting extra experience to make up the education deficiency. Most states accept this alternative, but not all of them do. So there's still a few wrinkles here and there across the country where, depending on the state, and that's why we really encourage people before they pursue a license and before they pursue a reciprocal license, please study what that entry state is requiring. All of that's on our website. You go to www.incarb.org and you go to the locator map and you click on the individual jurisdiction. It'll give you all those requirements. If you're confused, you can call our 1-800 number or write our customer relations department, and we'll provide an individual to coach or mentor you through the process.
0: That's great. I was just going to ask you about that because I think when most small firm architects think of NCARB, they're thinking reciprocation. Yes. You know, architects that have been in the profession for many yes. years, when that's what they think of when they think of NCARB. Um, And many of them have gone through the process of reciprocation and have hit, have hit walls. It's taken a long time Uh and they complain and they blame NCARB for that. Right. And so I know that you've been doing things to expedite that process. Yes. And that's one of them is to be able to go to the locator. You know, you have coaching if you need it. Uh, Are there any, anything else that sort of helps that process of reciprocity happen quicker and more? Well,
1: I'm very proud of how much we've uh, borne down on efficiency in our customer relations function. Uh, we've gone through a second business process reengineering initiative to um, re, uh, reallocate resources so that we um, are better focused on, on speed and accuracy. Um, as our more mature architects know, um, everything used to be done by paper. Things could take months. Sometimes things got lost in the mail. Everything now, of course, is digitized and done electronically. Uh, interestingly, with the robust economy, we are finding older architects that we haven't heard from in decades coming back now and either wanting to reactivate their certificate or get a certificate for the first time. So in those cases, those records are, are so old that we have to retrieve them and digitize them and, and update them. So that sometimes takes a little bit longer. But um, the average transmittal if you request today a reciprocal license in another jurisdiction, that can usually be accomplished in less than a week, and it used to take months. That's good. Everyone to after a certain age has a NCARB horror story to tell, and we hope that those stories are becoming more few and far between. Um, we've also um, incentivized um, the value of having an NCARB certificate. NCARB certificate holders now have free access to online continuing education uh, credits that count for HSW. And those that's through our monograph program and uh, our mini monograph program. We are adding new monographs every month. And so a lot of architects, as they reach the end of the year and they are short a few CE credits, are getting there by going online and taking advantage as a certificate holder of these free monographs. Uh, and, and we are um, increasingly confident that uh, The new tools we are creating are going to make um, uh, waiting almost passe for a lot of our programs. In fact, as a parallel example, the new exam, um, you now get instant test scores at the test center before you leave. Um, They are unofficial because they have to be validated and transmitted to the jurisdiction. But um, with the advent of the new software programs and the new exam, there's no delay in grading now. So um, that's been a big change, too. Yeah. So,
0: and that could be good uh, or bad. Depending well, exactly.
1: bad. <laughs> Well, you get to choose before they show you the score, whether you want to know. Right. Yeah. We assume most people would want to know because the other thing we've changed is that the waiting period is now uh, 60 days instead of six months. So you can retake an exam 60 days after you get your uh, failure notice. So that's changed as well. So this also should squeeze down the time it takes to get a license. Yeah. Uh, but but, um, you know, again, we are always open to feedback and we want to hear from everybody if um, something hasn't worked for them or something isn't making sense. We don't want people to think of us as uh, unavailable or unreachable.
0: And the website has all that information to to contact. It you. It does.
1: It yep. does. Um, we. Um, we can, we'll are, put
0: it We'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I know it's on the it's on the website. Yeah. Um, the, I'm really glad that you, uh, came and spent some time with me. Cause I think that we, um, we, it's sort of a, a state of the profession in terms of the NCARB by the numbers. And you've given us a nice state of NCARB as well to understand who you are, what you do, um, and the advancements in the, Cause I think many, many architects have an opinion, um, of NCARB based on things decades old. And it's a different world we're all living in. And it certainly is. NCARB is a very different NCARB than it was 10 years ago. So, Well, I and
1: pre- I, I would add one more thing. We have yeah. some something newer, which is we have mutual recognition agreements with Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. If you have a license in the US um, in a jurisdiction that has signed the mutual recognition agreement, you can have one year of practice in your home country and you can practice in Canada three years of practice in your home country, and you can practice in Australia and New Zealand. We also have a trinational agreement with Canada, U.S., and Mexico that is a longer process but does facilitate mobility between the three countries. So we're also looking at international opportunities for U.S. architects. Yeah, the world is getting smaller every yes. time we look at it.
0: Michael, I appreciate you coming by. Before we wrap up here, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: I think demonstrating a commitment to excellence through mentoring and coaching and ethical practice is really, really important. I think we're in an era now where everyone is talking about ethics, and certainly that's happening in the architecture profession. It relates to gender equity. It relates to how one treats the emerging professional. It relates to uh, how one treats clients. Modeling that behavior, we think that mentoring the next generation is just as much an ethical issue as how you treat a client. And we think that's that's a wonderful wonderful thing to focus on.
0: Yeah, excellent answer. NCARB.org is where you want to go to check out everything that NCARB is doing. Specifically for the report, it's NCARB.org slash NBTN. So NCARB by the numbers, NBTN 2018. And we'll have that link on the show notes as well. This is episode 248. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 248 will get you there. Uh, Michael, I appreciate you for taking the time to come and speak with me and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. So what do you think about that? I want I want to know what you think. You can post your comments over at the show notes at EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 249, or head over to the Entree Architect community on Facebook. It's our private Facebook group, EntreeArchitect.com slash group to get inside there. That's a private group. You should be in there if you're not in there slash group and share your thoughts over there about NCARB. I would love to know what you think about what Michael and I discussed today. So post it in the comments or over at the group. And Entree Architect membership. I would love for you to come join us because we're having a great time over there. We're learning every month with live Entree Architect masterclass expert training sessions. All our resources are in there for free for members. We have a member forum on Slack. We have everything you need to build a better business. I want you in there. Do it right now. Go check it out. You can actually join for free for 30 days. You can go in, check it out, look at all the resources, whatever you need. Go check it out. entrearchitect.com. Free for 30 days. Check it out. entrearchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, love, learn, and share. Those are the three rules every day. Post them on your wall. That's what you need to do to make the world a better place. Love, learn, share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.